super safe just listening to that. And uh, we are back and uh, we are reconnected with our third guest for the show today, Jeremy Appel. Um, has been covering politics in Alberta since 2017. Uh, his works appeared all over, uh, including uh, CBC News, Canada's National Observer, Jacobin, Ricochet, Taii, Breach, Maple, Canadian Jewish News. And you can also check out his newsletter on, called The Orchard on Substack. He lives in Edmonton, and he joins me this morning to chat about his new book, Kennyism, Jason Kenny's Pursuit of Power. Good morning, Jeremy. Morning, Peter. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, great, great to have you on. Um, it seems like, and I mean, this is sort of right at the the front uh, of the book. No matter who you talk to in Alberta, you know whether they're uh, kind of on the left or on the right, nobody really misses Jason Kenny. And I know for me, um, I was able to read this book, which which just launched a couple weeks ago, and it was a little bit of a hesitation of like, do I really want to read and revisit all this stuff? But I'll say that, you know, once I, I picked it up, it, it was really hard to put back down. So why did you write a, a, a book about Jason Kenney? Well, I think Jason Kenney was one of the single most influential conservative politicians of my lifetime. I mean, I'm, I'm 33. So uh, essentially my entire life, he's been involved in Canadian politics in uh, pursuing a particular vision of uh, what it means to be Canadian uh, and Albertan, of course, um, either, either, in electoral politics or from the outside uh, my entire lifetime. And I would say, save for obviously Stephen Harper and uh, Mike Harris in Ontario, uh, I would say that Jason Kenney was, yeah, one of the most uh, influential politicians in shifting the entire frame of debate in Canadian politics rightwards. Mm-hmm. And there there's you know a well-known uh concept of of thatcherism uh and you've titled the book kennyism um is, is there more to it than just a, a clever book title or or is this actually really a, a thing well i definitely think it is its own thing like in part uh kennyism is a Canadian version of Thatcherism or Reaganism, but I think there are some aspects to it that I would say are unique to Jason Kenney. First among them is the way that he used the, the, the sort of framework of Canadian multiculturalism to pursue uh, a very exclusionary approach towards uh, inclusion, um, which I know is is paradoxical, but he the the inclusion that he promoted was a conditional one, right? When he was uh, sort of Harper's point man on uh, ethno cultural outreach, he reached out to all these communities that had previously been written off as outside of the conservative fold. Right, like uh, various immigrant communities, the Chinese-Canadian community, Indo-Canadian community, um, 
etc. in the Jewish community. And he cultivated conservative elements within these communities and was showing up to their events. And um, so it, it was a very inclusive approach in the sense that it didn't matter what your background is. You were invited into this modern conservative party that uh, was the result of the merger of the Canadian Alliance and PCs. But it was only insofar as you accepted the sort of uh, ideological preferences of that conservative movement, right? So it, 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 it was uh, inviting to some, but exclusionary for others. Um, and the other uh, aspect I think is unique to Kenyism is the, 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 the sort of moralistic zeal he pursued his political project with, and just the outright vilification of anyone who stood in the way of this political agenda. Hmm. Well, just to- you really saw in Alberta with the, the anti-environmentalist uh, crusade he launched in the this you know Pluto Notley alliance that was treated almost as this like foreign occupation of Alberta. It's very, really interesting, and, and you you go back to his days as an early MP. Uh, I think, as we mentioned, his career spans uh, twenty five years going back, and I I, I think it, it's interesting because I got a chuckle just cracking open the book. Um, just the table of contents, I'll, I'll read through to give listeners idea. It, it starts: culture warrior, tax layer, the snack pack. Weaponized immigrants, which I think is kind of what you were touching on there. Big blue pickup truck, waging war on the public sector, burning down the house, hint uh, climate, Uh, education for the few, rejecting harm reduction, the plague, the fall. Give us a a sense of like how you, you know, it's 25 years in politics is like, uh, you know, many generations, a lot happens. It's, it's a long time. How did you choose sort of what to focus on and, and where to begin things in telling the story about him? Right. So the, the book is lopsided in that it tracks, right, a 30-year uh, plus political career if you include uh, his student activism at the University of San Francisco. And... Um, but the half the book focuses really on the six years he was in Alberta politics when he returned to run for the leadership of the PCs in uh, 2016 to his downfall in 2022. And now the reason I did that was was twofold. Uh, first, that's what I'm most familiar with. That's what I covered directly, and I sort of had a first hand. Uh, account of but secondly this was also the only time where you could say he was fully in the driver's seat right like in in the Harper government I mean Harper was a notoriously tight ship and Kenny was given free reign to sort of uh, turn citizenship and immigration and then later employment and then defense which I don't really get into much as sort of his own fiefdom but he was only able to do that insofar as he was ideologically in sync with Stephen Harper. But here in Alberta, the buck stopped with him. And um, that is, I th- and of course, that's where his downfall occurred. So I think that 
was where a more multifaceted analysis, not, not taking a break from the sort of chronological approach of the first half of the book, and then sort of going from policy area to policy area to talk about what he did from his uh, sort of anti-labor, anti-public sector um, policies to the climate to harm reduction. And then it kind of goes back to uh, chronological order when uh, we talk about the pandemic. And then, of course, his downfall. Uh, which I originally thought would be the same chapter as as the pandemic, but then I realized that that was a whole other um, narrative on top of his mismanagement of the pandemic was how it um, manifested itself uh, in terms of his political fortunes, and then Brian Jean's comeback, and Daniel Smith's comeback, mm-hmm. and uh, Take Back Alberta. For those just tuning in, I'm chatting with Jeremy Appel, author of the new book, Kennyism, Jason Kenny's Pursuit of Power. Uh, Jeremy, I, I guess y- you talk about his his downfall and, and there being, you know, a fair bit of maybe revisionism going on in the media in the aftermath, trying to explain um, what happened with this politician. And I, it, you know, it's interesting. It's been said before. Um, you know, Prentice walked into the province and everyone kind of um, treated him like he walked on water and it seemed like he'd be in power forever and that didn't last long. Same thing happened with Kenny. Uh, of course, very different stories of, of what happened, but what do you sort of attribute to Kenny's downfall without maybe spoiling too much of the book? Mm-hmm. Well, throughout Kenny's career, um, one major uh, through line of Kennyism is using this language of populism that you see going back to his days with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, speaking on behalf of the people, right, the masses, um, to justify policies that were fundamentally elitist in nature. And at first, I mean, no one bought, you know, when Kenny came back to Alberta and he slapped on a cowboy hat, and drove around rural Alberta in his big blue uh, Dodge Ram. No one bought that he was actually this, uh, you know, salt of the earth, cowboy, Alberta populist. But they didn't care. We're talking about the base of, of what became the UCP, right? Which was the base of the Wild Rose. They didn't care insofar as he could defeat the NDP and roll back its, uh, you know, reforms on on climate and on labor. That was all well and good, right? And in in so far as he could do that, people uh, kind of embraced this faux populist shtick. But when the pandemic happened, that was when these fissures really opened up. And and Kenny's really. Uh, um, because uh, not only was he using the language of populism to support a fundamentally elitist project, but he himself has this very elitist disposition, right? Like I, near the beginning of the book, I quote uh, Raheem Jaffer I spoke to, uh, Kenny's former caucus mate in the Conservative Party. And, and he, you know, he and Kenny 
talks still every now and then, and he likes the guy. But he was saying that Penny has this disposition where not only it's not enough for him to be the smartest person in the room, you have to know that he's the smartest person in the room, right? And so there's certain arrogance, I think, that really came clear during the pandemic. Um, and it became most clear when he was facing his leadership review. And then that audio leaked of him calling, uh, you know, his party base, a bunch of lunatics and extremists who have fringe viewpoints. And I mean, if you're a hard Alberta populist, who supported the Wild Rose before, then supported the UCP, and then came COVID, and you were saying to yourself, what's with all these restrictions? I mean, to you, he sounds just like Trudeau, right? That, that, that there's this fringe element with unacceptable views that um, uh, it doesn't represent um, who we are as as a society, and but these are the very forces that he cultivated when he returned to Alberta, and he put on that cowboy hat, and he drove across the province in that big blue pickup truck. So um, I, I I think that the, the major reason for his failure was that he had nothing but disdain for uh, his own base of supporters. Very interesting. You you speak of the the merger of the the Wild Rose Party and the the PC Party of Alberta, which became the the UCP Party, which he sort of um, you know did the impossible and 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 merged together, and uh, this party ultimately you know pushed him out and and ended at least his career as as far as um, as far as we know today in, in politics. Um, but what do you see as the major or major, um, I guess, uh, remnants or marks that he's left on politics, but sort of like, uh, um, you know, the province and, and Canadian and provincial society here? Because I feel like you're in this book, you're, you're, he, he, you're arguing that he, he left more of an impression yeah, I, I think he played a major role in, in, in shifting the terms of debate in Canadian and especially Alberta politics rightwards in narrowing the, the horizon of political possibility. And I think you see that now, um, most evidently with uh, Kathleen Ganley's campaign in the, the NDP leadership race. And, and of course, in Rachel Notley's unsuccessful efforts to defeat Danielle Smith last year, where um, the NDP have accepted the, the premise that, uh, yes, Alberta needs to have the lowest taxes in Canada, right? Um, they, they've taken this defeatist approach, right? I, I mean, in, in the last election... Rachel Notley promised to increase corporate taxes, but they would still be lower than they they would still be the lowest in Canada. And I mean, you look, the NDP took the corporate tax rate from 10% to 12%, introduced a progressive income tax rate. Penny rolls back the corporate taxes to make them even lower than they were before the NDP came to power, right? 8% where they are now. And then not least promising 
to increase them, not back to what they were before Kenny, but to 11% to ensure that they're still the lowest in the country, that Alberta remains this outlier with this uh, extraordinarily low uh, tax regime. And now you are, and she promised to freeze income taxes, which was a bit of mixed messaging, I think, that really uh, confused a lot of people. Um, now you have Kathleen Ganley, who appears to be the front runner for the NDP leadership uh, with all the endorsements she's uh, getting, saying that she's going to cut income taxes now for, for low income people. So there, there, there's this, there's this consensus now that, that like Margaret Thatcher uh, created in England, but in the UK, I should say, that there's no alternative, that we can only tweak around um, this regime of low taxes and trickle-down economics, and that also this acceptance that, yeah, Alberta is an oil and gas province, and oil and gas is going to be um, our major industry uh, for the foreseeable future, right? I mean, the the party didn't, the NDP didn't talk about climate change in the last election, right? Uh, they were boasting about building pipe, building the, getting the Trans Mountain pipeline built, which never mind that it's over budget, like vastly over budget, but also it's probably going to be the last one. So why boast about that and not look towards the future and offer a positive vision? And then on the federal uh, level, of course, the 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 regime that uh, Kenny and, and Harper built with citizenship and immigration, where immigration was tied to what immigrants can offer our uh, ruling class, what they can offer employers, is matched with this very... Um, draconian approach towards refugees that Trudeau um, reversed the, the the most excessive aspects of it, like cutting uh, extended health care for uh, asylum seekers and um, creating this two-tiered system for asylum seekers based on which country they uh, came from. But you see now with our, um, the contrast between how we've brought in Ukrainian refugees with open arms, and rightfully so, and how we're criminalizing Palestinian refugees from Gaza before they even arrive here, uh, forcing them to fill out paperwork that immigration lawyers say they've never seen before, having to list every job they've had since they're 16, to list any, like, injuries they have, like even like bruises and explain how they got them. And then the Israelis have to approve their application to come to Canada. So this is, again, a very, uh, very, this is an approach towards immigration and refugees that is exclusionary as it is inclusionary if you fit the right criteria or if you don't. You write a little bit about, um, and, and I mean, you touched on the point right there that, um, progressive parties have kind of uh, boxed themselves into the little um, sandbox that that Jason Kenney uh, gave them to play in that's uh, more far to the right. What do you think progressive parties um, can learn from looking back at what Kenney did and what do you think they need to do 
Well, I think Kenny does provide an important lesson for the left in his ability throughout his political career to maintain a set of principles. And there are principles, whether you agree with them or not, like I don't, and I'm sure you don't, and most of your listeners don't. But he had a set of principles, and he was able to bring them uh, to the mainstream discussion by sticking to them and picking his battles, right? So abortion is, of course, something and he remains opposed to, the, right? He, uh, a, a relatively recent interview he did with the Daily Telegraph, he, he was talking about how Canada um, has no uh, abortion law, that's the wild west for abortions, and that we need to do something. But it became clear to him through his years in the Reform Party and the Alliance in getting this um, merger between the Alliance and the PCs through the finishing line and then spreading the party's appeal to Eastern Canada and to the suburbs in particular was that talking about abortion wasn't going to help the, the broader project, right? That when Harper came in, it became clear they need to focus on certain things that they can win people over on. And that was... Um, you know, neoliberal economics, right? Reducing taxes, reducing the size of government, uh, criminal, this harsh criminal justice regime, and these, uh, um, with that, these uh, immigration policies that were much more, um, that did lie in the law of immigrants, but were much more restrictive in terms of what types of immigrants they're letting in, right? So, it's not that he changed his his views for the sake of power. It's that he learned which views to emphasize and which to de-emphasize and sort of uh, took a piecemeal approach, right? I mean, if Kenny could criminalize abortion, I'm sure he would have, but he accepted the political reality that that wasn't possible at the moment, but here are all these other aspects of this um, political agenda that was very libertarian when it came to uh, offloading the responsibilities of the state on to the private sector and onto individuals, but very authoritarian when it came to sort of imposing uh, this vision of social order. Um, that he wanted to. And so I think that to, to counteract this, the left needs to uh, have its own version of Kennyism in a way and, and, and not sacrifice its principles for electoral pursuit, but to focus on how it frames issues and which issues it focuses on that it can win on. And I, that's, I acknowledge that's easy for me to say here, uh, talking to you from my car. Um, but, um, I, but I think it can be done. The problem is that the right has so much more resources than the left, right? That wealthy people are going to be funding these right-wing initiatives um, as they become increasingly, increasingly further to the right. Um, and uh, the donor class for progressives are uh, much more centrist and much more incrementalist and, 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 and take this sort of liberal 
uh, approach that I'm, I'm criticizing of just kind of responding to each and every outrage from Danielle Smith or Pierre Polyev as it happens without this broader social vision that it's trying to create. Um, but ultimately, that is something that, that needs to be done because otherwise we're just going to be following um, the right in inching closer and in, in closer to um, the their preferred vision of society. We need to push back a bit, but we need to be smart about how we do it and with, again, a, a clear end game in mind of the sort of society we want to build. Well, very interesting. And it's, um, it's a, a great re- read with a lot of uh, really good perspectives. And um, I, I think <laughs> having paid attention, particularly over the last four years, um, there has been so much going on. It's, it's almost impossible to, to keep track of and remember everything. And this was one way to sort of jog those brain cells and help sort of um, tie a bow around it all. So um, I appreciate and I think many others will appreciate um, having this book to sort of take a, a, a 30,000 foot uh, view down on on what happened through through Kenny's career. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Peter. Uh, great to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us, Jeremy. Uh, once again, I've been chatting with Jeremy Appel. He is the author behind a new book on Jason Kenney's Pursuit of Power called Kenneyism. It's out on Dundrin Press, and uh, you can pick it up at your favorite bookstore. <laughs>